It's 1207. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We do not go gently into the good weekend here on the Wagner program. Let us get started. Eric Bilstead. Yes, sir. Do you know you know where Hurley, Wisconsin is? E, north somewhere? Way, 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 way up okay. north. Iron County. Way, way, way up north. Do you know what the mascot for Hurley High School is? I do not. Hurley High School. They are the midgets. Ah, they are okay. the Hurley High School midgets. They are one of, I don't know, a handful of high schools across the country that have the nickname the midgets. Do they have a mascot? Like I well, I I, <laughs> I I don't know. Do you mean like like the like the lions have a guy that comes out dressed yeah, as a lion? Right, yeah. That I don't know. But their nickname is the midgets. Okay, okay. They are they are the midgets. Now, would you like would you like to guess how they got the nickname the midgets? Because I I some people might be wondering how did they get the nickname the midgets? Would you like to guess how they got the nickname the midgets? Um. Boy, I, I don't know if I can say something without getting in trouble for it. Oh, see? All right. Mm. Oh, by the way, let me mention, as we do for the first couple segments of the program every day, we are live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can tune in and, and watch us make radio magic. Actually, watch me make radio magic because Eric is off camera thinking if this is going to be incredibly politically incorrect. All right. Would you like to guess how they became the Hurley High School midgets? I think midgets means something else. That's what I'm going to go with. So something else other than small so, yeah. People? Maybe some an industrial thing or something that they do up there. No, 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 no. Midgets means midgets. Okay. <laughs> Here, I mean, no, there, there is the history of how they became the midgets. I, I actually, I researched this. Okay. All right. Here is the deal. Going back into the the forties, this goes back to the nineteen forties, like nineteen forty three okay. or something like that. All right. Um, the Hurley High School boys basketball team went to the state basketball tournament. Many, and I'm, I'm reading here of this description, how the, many of their players were small in stature. And because of this, a reporter wrote that they looked like midgets while playing against teams with taller players. The name caught on, and today, today, all Hurley's teams are still known as the midgets. Hmm. So no, it, it doesn't refer to like biting okay. flies or anything like that. No, <laughs> no, right, no. It's right. no, it it it's Mitch, and it goes back to the '40s. So for you know, going on 75 years or so, they have been the Hurley High School midgets. Now, do you wonder why I bring this up as a topic, Eric? Well, I know why <laughs> because I'm assuming someone wants them to change the name. All right, the concept, the the team name of midgets is under fire. Um, here's the story. Is it time to eliminate the midgets mascot? That's what a committee in the Hurley High School District will decide by the end of the year. The school board president says it's time for discussion. He says the district has been threatened with lawsuits regarding the midget nickname. So they've got this committee. And what they are going to do is they are going to, it's not a school board committee, they are going to bring in 9 to 15 members of people who just are in the district and the district administrator and they once they get this committee the committee is then going to decide whether or not they should keep the nickname midgets that they have had for 60 or 70 or 80 years or however many so that is the controversy they are one of a handful like i say of schools that continue to be the the midgets let's open up the phone lines 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's the history of it. 
They have been the matter of fact. I was actually today online. I was reading the Hurley newspaper, and, and they use this name a lot. Midgets, you know, midgets win the football game. You know, midgets advance to the state tournament. I mean, they they are referred to as as the midgets. They have been referred to as the midgets. The history again is successful smaller guys playing against taller players. That was the nickname, and it is stuck. All right. That might be fine for the 1940s. It is now 2018. Is this offensive? Do we need, regardless of the history, do we need to drop this? Or is this political correctness run amok? Should whatever committee they find to do this, should they simply say, no, it's been this way forever. We don't have any in evil intent. We are proud of this nickname, and we're sticking with it. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Truly offensive, or is this concern about we might get this lawsuit or that? Is it political correctness run amok? Should Hurley stick to its guns and keep its nickname? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are on the line, please hold on. When we come back, I'll tell you where I come down on this. But I am genuinely curious as to whether if you hear this nickname, you think, oh, my gosh, that is so terribly offensive. How can we say that in 2018? Or are the people who are upset by this desperately in need of a life? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss in just a moment. And again, we live stream this segment of the program. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ 1213. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very happy to have you with us. Again, live streaming, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Hurley High School is one of a handful of high schools in the country whose nickname is, it's not not the Indians, not the Redskins, it's the Midgets. And Harley High School, they've had it since the 1940s. They have now formed a committee to decide if they should change the nickname because they say over the years they've had complaints and they are perhaps afraid of a lawsuit. Should they stick to their guns or should they give in? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jim, who is calling us from Hurley. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. Okay, for people who might not know, you're in Iron County. Geographically, where is Hurley? Hurley is, uh, you got one foot in uh, Wisconsin and one foot in Lake Superior, <laughs> so it's as far north as you can go in Wisconsin. Got it. What would be the closest um, mid-sized town or something that people might know about? Um, you're there? Probably you're an hour north of Manaqua. Okay. You're about an hour uh, west of Ashland, Wisconsin. Okay, got it. All right, so, all right, th- they are the Hurley High School midgets. Is this offensive? Should they change? No, absolutely not. I was a midget. Once a midget, I was a midget. And you're spot on with that uh, state team. I think they went to the state tournament in 49 or something. They won the state tournament, and I'm not sure anyone was over six foot tall. Right. In fact, I, I had an uncle on that team. It, it's pretty pretty cool history. Well, so, I mean, so when you hear, like, the Hurley High School midgets, it's not something that's intended to mock little people or anything like that. It's actually a tribute to maybe a small school, maybe a small team that was able to accomplish a lot of a lot of good things. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think the community is with you up there? I think they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, good enough. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, inevitably what happens with this, there there is one or two squeaky wheels. Oh, my gosh. I'm, 
I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this. You know, we, we know we don't mean any offense, and but there might be some people who, who think of the history of this and they, they, they think that we're mocking little people. Now, first of all, why would you do that? Why would, if, if it's intended in a mocking sort of fashion, why in the world would you do that as, as your mascot? I mean, I think as, as Jim was pointing out, this is something, hey, this goes back to, you know, we were undersized, we accomplished a whole bunch of stuff. I guess I look at this and say, if it's good enough for the people of Hurley, and it's been good enough since the 1940s, all right, I don't think there's any reason to give into political correctness now. Tony in East Troy. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, I think this is absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, you've had things like this all the time. You have, you know, I'm not far from Maguanago, and you had the whole issue with the Maguanago Indians. Indians, right. And, you know, it's not like... And when you take the name Indians, it's not like we're making fun of them for being different than, you know, Caucasian people or any other nationality. Right. It's just, you know, a, a, a nickname. It's a, a mascot. It's, you know, something that we have a lot of Indians in the area. Right. And it's not like a derogatory thing. And I think the same thing with midgets. It's not like we're making fun of short people or... You know, right. I mean, well, I well, right. I mean, look, it, it, it's I mean, see, it's sort of like I would kind of like it to liken it to fighting Irish. All right. I, I guess you, you could have somebody right. that says, oh, this is really offensive because this is playing into the you know, stereotype that, you know, Irish people like to drink and get into fights or, or whatever that would be. And you're saying, right. no, no, that's not what the Notre Dame mascot is all about. This is, I mean, it is something that we take pride in. And I think, you know, you, you could you say, gee, some people might use the term midget to be derogatory. Yeah, but that's okay. not how they're using it in Hurley. Right. And, you know, I'd like to know, okay, are, are the people that are making these complaints, are they even from Hurley? You know, like, you have the guy Jim that just called in. You know, he's from there, and it sounds like most of the people there are proud of the name. You know, he said, once a midget, always a midget. I mean, they're proud of that history. And yeah. are these people with the complaints are even from there? Well, no, my, I think my, my – thanks, Nicole. My, my guess is absolutely not. I mean, my guess is what's – have they perhaps had complaints over the years? Oh, okay, I'm, I mean, maybe. But my guess is it's a handful. Maybe somebody – oh, this is discriminatory. We're going to threaten a lawsuit. And it's a really small – if you haven't figured this out, it's a really small community, and it's a small school district. I think, I think the all 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 the school, the whole school is in one building. I mean, ranging from kindergarten to high school, it was that way at least at one point in time. Uh, so you're, you're talking about really small community, and I understand people are saying, "Well, we don't want to, we don't want to get lawsuits filed against us and things like that." But at the same time, you know, do you always have to give in to stuff in the name of political correctness? Dave in Hartford, Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello, hello. What do you think? Uh, first time caller. Uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, what I can't understand is, uh, what would really be nice is to take a poll of a lot of little people, say a hundred little people, and see what they think about it. All right, let me just, let, let's play this out. Let's say you, you take a poll or something like that, and 60 or 70 percent of the, the people that you poll say they are offended by it. What, what then? Uh, then do you change I it? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair but enough. I, but as a little, if I was a little person, I don't think I would take offense to it. But uh, well, no. I mean, right. I mean, th- I guess thanks for calling. That, that's what I was going to ask you because we we do use, for example, the, the word midgets. Now, in other contexts, there is somebody sends me a text. Hey, Jeff, in youth hockey, there is a division called midget. Um, do, do you think you know? Do, do we? Do we have to change that? You know, in, in auto racing, there, there's midget cars. I mean, you, you have that. You have 
all right, um, you know, professional wrestling, the WWE, occasionally they will have midget wrestling shows. Do we need to remove that name? Is it so inherently offensive that you have to get rid of that name and ban it from society? And again, what about the people who say, well, no, we, we don't view this. We view this as a we're we're proud of this. Paul in the North Shore. Paul, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, I think the Giants need to change their name. Well, right. Is is that is that discriminatory against, you know, people with glandular issues who are who are large, yeah. Maybe. I yeah. think the committee should be made up of, of small people and midgets and then let them determine if it's offensive or not. Um well well, thanks for calling. <coughs> I guess I don't I mean, look, I at some point in time, I, I think you have to look at context. And if you're saying to me, is it possible that you could be using that particular word and you could be using it in a context and a connotation that is that is evil and is hurtful? Well, OK, I understand. That. I and But that's not what is going on here. Darlene in Waukesha. Darlene, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. I, w- I was under the impression that we were no longer allowed to use the word midgets. I was understanding that we had to call them little people. But when so you say no longer they, allowed, what do you mean by no longer allowed by who? I thought it was made like a rule or a law of some sort. No, or was it just a courtesy thing? Well, I, there, there's no law that I, at least there, there's no law that bans any word, as far as I, I know, and I, I don't think there's. I'm, I'm sure there's not a law that bans. Well, I Midget. thought they were pushing whatever you want to call it. I thought they were pushing to only be called little people. So if that be the case, then there are no such things as midgets. So how can they sue? Well, oh, okay. Th- thanks. For, well, I mean, I guess, okay, first, first of all, there, there's no law that says, there, there's no law that says Hurley High School can't call themselves midgets. There's no law that says that uh, the WWE can't say, hey, we're going to have a, a midget wrestling match now. At the same time, um, because of societal pressure, you could have situations where the the word has such a negative connotation and it is so offensive that you you know we we don't want to do that. And and as the one caller was talking about with McGuanago, that that's kind of the debate. You know, can you can you call somebody the Indians nowadays? Is that so inherently negative that that it's going to be offensive and that we should not do that? I mean, has the word midget? Really, um, ha- has it has it achieved that sort of status? A- and my answer would be would would be no. I think you have to look again at context, understanding the historical significance of this. It's like, hey, we're, we're using this as a term of 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 pride. You know, we're from a small school. This is the history. You know, these were these were the, the, they're playing against all people that were a lot taller than them. And look, look at what they were able to accomplish. Ron in Sussex. Ron, you're in WTMJ. Hi, uh, my first question for you would be, uh, how many midgets actually live in Hurley? <laughs> I, That's my very first question. How, how many little people? I don't know. My, my guess yeah. is probably not too many. <laughs> and, and my next question uh, or statement would be that um, I'm, I, I, I winter in Florida, and we have the uh, Seminoles down there. Right. And all I can tell you is when they even brought this up years ago, the Seminoles said, no way are we changing that. Right. 
because they are making millions and millions of dollars off of that. Well, right, exactly. No, thanks. Right, and the Seminole Indian tribe, in that they said, "Hey, we we understand the context of this. We understand that this is intended as as a tribute, you know. And, and no, we don't need you to change it." Now, interestingly, I saw this. I'm glad somebody's reminding me of this. Text says, "Jeff, the Hurley midgets." is portrayed on T-shirts as a powerful, muscular man, not just a, a small person. Um, yeah, I mean, so you, you've got that there. Michael in Green Bay. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you uh, think? So I actually I grew up in northern Wisconsin. I grew up in the, the same athletic conference. I grew up in Washburn, Wisconsin, which is in the conference of uh, Hurley and Butternut. Okay. Wisconsin. Okay. Both, both of these schools have the mascot midget. Okay. Butternut, Wisconsin is the mascot midget, and Hurley is the mascot midget. Um, I've never had an issue. No one in northern Wisconsin has ever had an issue. In fact, I can't remember which school the mascot was actually named after a boxer who was from that town whose nickname was Midget. So they... They were so proud of this boxer being from their community that yeah. they make their town's mascot after this boxer. Yes. Uh, I can't remember if it was Hurley or Butternut. No, it wasn't that. Hurley. Hurley. No, no, thanks for calling. Actually, and and I know that, and when we come back in two minutes, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the rest of that story. No, the Hurley midgets were, it was a term coined by a sports writer in the 1940s watching the Hurley boys basketball team at the state tournament. That's the history of that. But you're, you're right, because... I spent about 30 minutes of my life researching this topic before I talked about it with you. Bottom line is, here's my message to the folks up in Hurley. Don't give in to political correctness. Run amok. There is no evil intent here. You've been the midgets since 1940-whatever. Stay the midgets for another 30 years. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thanks for watching on Facebook Live. And you can go back and you can watch the segment again. Was that guy really talking about the midgets nickname? Yes, he was. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. It's 1228. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. By the way, our last caller was completely and totally correct. Um, It's not only the Hurley midgets, but there's also the village of Butternut. Eric Bilstedt, you want to know, you want to guess where Butternut, Wisconsin is? <laughs> Same place, <laughs> no, up north somewhere. Ashland, yeah, it's 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 up in Ashland, and they are the Butternut Midgets. Um, that that nickname comes from Charles Midget Fisher, who hailed from Butternut and was the middle and light heavyweight wrestling champion of the world in the 1920s. So they are. I mean, I was just on their website. They they sell all sort. You you can buy a butternut midget, you know, t shirt and stuff like that. So they are the. What are the odds? He said they're in the same conference. I'll take his word for it. What is the odd <laughs> odds that you got two? You got two midgets in in one conference. So I'm hoping Hurley doesn't get. If you are one of the members of this Hurley special committee that's going to be formed, my advice is do not give in to political correctness. All right, keep the midgets. Save the midgets. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October rolls on. The magic number is down to six. Now, that's that magic number is six to make the playoffs. That would be to be the second wild card team, and it's any combination of Brewers wins and Colorado Rockies losses. There's another magic number 
to be the home team in the wild card. I think that's seven off the top of my head. And then there's another magic number I'm watching. The Cubs' magic number is eight, which is any combination of Brewers' wins and Brewers' losses and Cubs' wins that would give the Cubs the um, the, the the championship in the Central Division. Obviously, if the Brewers could overhaul the Cubs and avoid a one-game playoff, that would be ideal. In any event, the Brewers look to exercise some demons' excise. It should be excise. The Brewers look to not exercise some demons. They're not taking them out for a walk. The Brewer, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kind of reading this stuff. The crew looks to exercise some demons. No, you, you go, you take your dog out to exercise him. This is excise, as in cut out. The Brewers look to excise some demons when they face off against the fourth place Pittsburgh Pirates from PNC Park. Our coverage starts at 5:30 tonight. If you can't tell, I'm in a mood. All right. So, so here, here, before we move on to a, a very, very serious topic, just one final thought on the, the, the Hurley midgets. Our caller was exactly correct. Now, as near as I have been able to figure this out, I think there are only five or six schools in the country, in the country, that use the nickname midgets. There used to be seven, and I think one got pressure and dropped it. All right. One is, of course, the Hurley midgets. Another one, the caller was absolutely correct, the butternut midgets. Now, here's what's so bizarre. They do, in fact, play in the same conference. And you want to know what the name of the conference is? It's the Indian Head Conference. My God, these social justice warriors, I, I don't I don't think they know where to start. Well, we want to complain about the Hurley midgets. We want to complain about the butternut midgets. And they're playing in the Indian Head Conference, for goodness sakes. Where, I mean, you, you could get a whole bunch of these aggrieved groups together. I mean, you, you want to talk about class actions lawsuits. We'll get all the people that are offended by the term Indian. How could it be the Indian Head Conference? And then we'll get all the people that are offended by the midget nickname. You know, you, you could join together. I... <laughs> it just the yes the the Hurley midgets and the butternut midgets play in the Indian Head Conference. Ugh, I can just see heads exploding all over. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. I, I have a a very a, a very serious conversation that that I want to have. You know, we've we have talked this week about various various aspects. Of, of the whole Brett Kavanaugh confirmation. And, you know, now that this woman has come forward and been identified and she says he, he did this type, this thing, um, she's got no evidence of it. She didn't tell anybody about it, doesn't remember where it happened, et cetera. And, and we've talked about the different aspects of how Congress should proceed. And we, we've discussed, does this sound kind of believable or it doesn't sound believable? All those things. I want to talk about this from a, a different perspective. By all accounts, if this happened when Kavanaugh was 17, he's now in his mid-50s, this was a one-off sort of thing. I mean, the, the woman's claim, not under oath, but her claim is she was at this party and that he grabbed her and threw her on a bed and tried to pull up her bathing suit and then she struggled, got away, boom, and, and then it, that that's it. But... By all intents, for all intents and purposes, this is a one-off type of thing. There, there's no other woman anywhere that has come forward and said he did something similar. Matter of fact, all the the people that, that knew him in high school, the the women have come forward and said this is not the guy we know. This is not consistent with his behavior. There are no other reported incidents of this. So even if you believe this woman, 
This is a one-off type of thing. It's something that happened over a five-minute period of time, if you believe it happened, you know, back when the guy was 17, right? One-off type of thing. And again, never reported, never resulted in a conviction. It, it never, you know, she again, she never reported, so he hasn't been, wasn't accused uh, at the time of sexual assault or, or rape, etc. It's a one-off type of, of thing. Here's what I want to ask you. Let us assume, for the sake of argument, that this happened as the woman says, that he had been drinking and behaved in a fashion that would be uh, completely and totally inappropriate, all right? One five-minute period of time back when he was 17. Never did it before, never did it again, and has gone on to lead an exemplary life. I mean, served under various presidents, been uh, an honorable and respected member of the, the highest U.S., one of the highest U.S. Court of Appeals for the last 13 years, wife, family, there, there's no baggage. But let us assume that, that this did, in fact, happen for the, this five-minute period of time back when he was 17. Here is my question. Should this be disqualifying? Is that five-minute incident, is that something that should disqualify him from government office? Should he not be able to be a, a justice on the Supreme Court? Now, again, he, he denies this. All right. He, he says it, it did not happen. But but I want to talk about this, you know, theoretically, because my guess is that if you asked many, many people whether there was something perhaps they did in high school that didn't rise to the level of a crime, but was something that they were embarrassed about or that, you know, they, they wish they had handled differently or their behavior may have been inappropriate. And this clearly, if this happened, it, it would be this would be inappropriate in the extreme. No, no question about it. But it never happened again. So 35 years, 36 years later, does this does this say that you you, you can't be on the Supreme Court? Would something like this say, OK, you couldn't be a member of Congress. You couldn't be a member of the U.S. Senate. You couldn't be appointed to a, a government job. You couldn't be elevated to be the CEO of, of a business. All right. Is this disqualifying if it were true? And again, assuming that there's no other instances of this type of behavior before or after for the last 30 some years, how significant is this? And is it disqualifying? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, keep in mind, for some of the people, like like the Bill Cosby's, where there's been the inappropriate behavior, it hasn't been a one-off type of thing. It's not just, okay, he did this in 1973 or whatever, but it's he did it in 73, and he did it in 77, and he did it a few times in the 80s and all. So you have this, this overall pattern. But if this was a one-off done when he was in high school, should it be disqualifying? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a test. Uh, it's funny you mention this, Jeff. I like the idea of becoming a public figure, maybe an alderman in the future. However, I don't know if anything I've done in my youth could come back to bite me, so I will probably never even attempt to run. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm trying, imagine this situation. It's 1977. And you're in high school, and you're out on a date, and you're parked somewhere, and you, tr- it, from a guy's perspective, you try to get to second base, okay? And 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 I understand the av- allegations against Kavanaugh are are more serious than that, but 
take my example, and so you try to, I don't know, you, you try to touch the your date's breast, and, and she says, you know, stop that, and she slaps her hand away, and says, that, that, you know, you, that was inappropriate, and then, okay, fine, and so, you know, nothing further from that. And I understand the Kavanaugh allegations are, are more serious, but, but still, let's take my example. You, you try to touch somebody inappropriately. She tells you no. She slaps your wrist. Okay, the, should that be disqualifying if 40 years later, you know, you want to be a judge or you want to run for office or something, if that did, in fact, you know, happen? I mean, is is there a statute of limitations on bad interpersonal behavior? And I, I guess if so, is there anybody that's going to get confirmed? I also, a number of texters are making the point. I understand the irony of this is that many of the people who are outraged at these allegations against Kavanaugh are the same people who looked the other way when all the talk about a pattern in practice, all these different women came up to talk about Bill Clinton and how there was all this unwanted, um, a, a lot more sort of contact and stuff going on, or even locally. I mean, former Mayor John Norquist, who you know was involved in his own sex scandal with with an aide, and lots of lots of uh, prominent feminists looked the other way because they liked John Norquist. Anyhow, should this conduct, even if it happened, be? disqualifying. Let's start with Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am honestly sick and tired of this issue. It should be a non-issue. And maybe people think that's insensitive, but I look at it this way. First of all, we live in a country where you have somewhat of a burden of proof. You can't just make an accusation and, and not have any proof. And the second thing is every single person who is calling for him to be out have to look at their brother, their father, themselves, their son, and go, would you allow someone to to besmirch his or his character just by saying something? Just just by saying something with no proof. How mm-hmm. would you feel? Yeah. I, I honestly can say, if someone asked me about any kind of interaction with someone 35 years ago, you know, when I'm 15 or 16 or something like that, I could probably mean... First of all, my memory would be skewed. My right. perspective would be skewed because what I do remember, I can look back and say, I didn't really see that in the best perspective or the right perspective. I was young. I was stupid. Um, right. But I could probably name 15 guys. I could probably name off the top of my head that in this day and age right. would, would right. be right. in trouble. Back, right. back then, yeah, you're, you're out on a date with them or something. And again, I'm not, I'm, I understand that the Kavanaugh situation is slightly different, but you're out on a date with them and they kind of push the envelope a little bit from what you're willing to do. So you say, stop it. They stop it. So now 35 years later, you're going to come forward and say, well, you know, we were out on a date and, you know, he, he, you know, he, he grabbed me and I, you know, and, and I, I told him not to and he stopped. And he's never done it again to anybody, but he shouldn't be a judge or whatever. Where do you draw the line? Well, and maybe you're at a party. And they're playing a game, like spin the bottle or something like that. You're a willing participant, but then it comes, you guys got to go in the closet for five minutes. Or you're at a frat party or something like that. There's so many situations that, you know, right. Right. you think you can clearly remember what he did and how you reacted to it. Right. Now, again, thank, know, yeah, thanks to call, Katie. Again, if, if this guy was like a, say, Bill Clinton, you know, a, a serial sort of abuser, you know, who was actually, I mean, if you believe some of the allegations, and I guess we're supposed to believe all allegations that come forward nowadays, you know, forcing himself on women and and, and having various forms of sexual gratification. Well, okay, if you see, again, that, that pattern in practice, but 
Again, even acknowledging even acknowledging that this is unacceptable behavior, if, if it in fact happened, thirty five years later, is this the type of thing that says that you you shouldn't be able to get a job or you shouldn't be able to be appointed? And I will tell you, maybe in, if it is, this is the conversation that every one of you parents then needs to be having with your kids, saying. Don't do anything that can even be interpreted as being, you know, a, a problem because that means that you're you're going to be ruined for life if, if the complaint is made. 414-799-1620. Pat in West Dallas. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Pat. How are you doing? Good. What do you think about this? Well, you know, I uh, what, uh, you know, teenage male, you know, uh, hasn't been, in, you know, in that position where you're at an underage drinking party. Things might get a little out of hand. And, you know, that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be, a, a, as a minor, be held accountable, you know, for what you did. You know, well, I mean, it, I guess it would be one thing. I, I guess, I mean, I mean, I would say, Pat, if he, if he had been convicted of sexually assaulting her, if there had been a, a jury, if he'd been charged and they determined it actually happened or something like that, well, well, yeah, uh, you know, that might be a different standard. But just this... Well, you know, this this kind of give and take and this back and forth, and yes, he, he was inappropriate, and maybe he tried to force himself on her, and then he stopped, and it, it all ended. Is that one instance 30-some years ago, does that say, okay, you can't you can't be on the Supreme Court. You can't be a judge. You would have to walk around wearing a, you know, a, a, a sackcloth for the rest of your life. Of course not. Yeah. I okay. mean, now, as people that probably made, like, let's say we make 50000 or less, you know, annual income, right? Okay. We're probably the people that uh, voted Trump in. Look what uh, Trump has been, uh, you know, accused of as a male. I mean, mm-hmm. as an adult male. Yeah. You know, and uh, now this guy, as a teenager, you know, you're going to come back and say, oh, you know, he did this, you know? I, you know, and it's really funny that uh, that she would come, you know, let's say he would, you know, the Senate or whatever, you know, and said, no, we're not going to appoint this guy, you know, that, you know, he's not. Yeah, well, I, Pat, I, I want to stop you because I, I don't want to get too far afield because I, I, there's a whole other conversation out there about is it he said, she said, you know, can you believe her, all those different types of things. But I, I, I want to focus kind of on the broader picture about whether there is a statute of limitations for bad behavior. And again, assuming it's it's a one-off type of thing. Like I say, no sympathy for me for a guy like Bill Cosby, who apparently was doing what he was doing going back to the 60s or 70s over a period of, of decades. But if it is that one-off thing when you're 17 years old, is that the type of thing that says when you're 53 years old, well, you, you can't be appointed to high office? Let's talk to Mike on the Northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I think that uh, this is just getting fully well blown out of proportion. Who, who, uh, as a teenager, has gone out with a girl, and you do try to get the second base when you're going out with someone that you really are attracted to? And she says, no, it's not no forcible sex or anything like that. It's just, you know, you're put off, and that's it, I, and no harm done. It's just kind of like normal nice. hormone uh, behavior when you're a teenager. And 30 or 40 years later to get accused of... Uh, Right, a nothing event. I don't believe it. It's just stupid. Right. Well, thanks. Well, again, and it, I mean, look, this, and I don't mean to minimize this because what she says happened is more than simply trying to get to second base. Okay, but but at the same time, I guess I think it is fair. Where, where do you, in fact, draw that line? If if you're the guy that tries to quote unquote get to second base and the gal says no and slaps your hand and then you stop, 
Um, th- does that mean, well, you know, he, he tried to, he made an, you know, he tried to grope her or, or whatever. Th- does that mean that 35 years later, you know, you, you've gone on, you've lived a, a you, you want to talk about somebody who's kind of a Mr. Clean. That, that's why this whole thing is so bizarre about Kavanaugh, because this is not a guy like Bill Clinton who was catting around. He, he just, he's just not. This is a guy who's led a very, I mean, his, his passion has been his family. His job and baseball. I mean, that, that's what the guy's passion has been. So, I mean, th- this is the question that I think somewhat gets lost in this as well. A- and no, I am not defending somebody who is a sexual predator in, by any way, shape, or form. And yes, this is clearly, if it happened, it's bad behavior. But if it is, in fact, this, this one off, does that mean it is disqualifying? And is that the standard so that when, for example, a guy like Senator Cory Booker, um, who has acknowledged that, that, yeah, I mean, he, he engaged in inap- some inappropriate behavior that he's now sorry for back when, you know, he was a, a young man. Does that mean it's disqualifying? Does that mean that, you know, okay, Bill Clinton should now be ostracized? Cause I tell you, Bill Clinton engaged in a lot of behavior, inappropriate behavior. And, and he was not just, it was not just when he was the president of the United States, but, you know, when he was governor of Arkansas and before 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, the news about the Milwaukee County Parks is not good. Where do we go from here? 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Please stick around. 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This latest story out of Washington that Eric just told you about is we really have gone down through the rabbit hole. Let me just back in and offer some comments on this. I, I actually just last evening finished reading the Bob Woodward book, Fear. Um, I, and I, I, Let me just say this to start. I'm kind of surprised because I don't think it was a particularly well-written book. I, I like Woodward's stuff. It's real choppy. It, it's it's all over. They, it, it doesn't move in a in a single timeline, and it doesn't go issue by issue. It just kind of bounces all all around. It's sort of like he just sat down and dictated different things, and then they just kind of put it all together. the 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 upshot of the book is I it. The president, and I don't, I don't know that it necessarily plows any new ground. The president comes across as, well, not particularly intellectually curious. I, I think that would that would be that would be fair. He comes across as, as sort of being impulsive, and he comes across on some issues as being kind of clueless. Um, and and so and I, I again I don't know that it plows any new ground in in that regard. And he also comes across as someone who is obsessed with loyalty, which I, I don't know is any different from many of the other presidents that are there. And there, there are a couple sections where yeah, he, he talks about, the, the, the author talks about how, you know, President Trump continues to be extremely upset with his Attorney General Jeff Sessions. We, we've discussed this before. Sessions was involved in the Trump campaign. So President Trump gets elected. He asks Jeff Sessions if he wants the job as attorney general. Sessions accepts it. He is confirmed. And then when all this Russia stuff hits the fan, Sessions says, I don't think I should be the one that supervises the investigation because I was involved in the campaign. And I don't, nobody did anything wrong here, but I, I was involved in the campaign. So theoretically, could I be a witness, etc.? So Sessions recuses himself, which leads to the appointment of Robert Mueller, the former FBI head, as the special counsel. Once and, and Trump has never forgiven Sessions for this, never forgiven Sessions. And that's why he's constantly you know, ripping on, on Jeff Sessions. Once once Sessions steps down, once he recuses himself, 
the the matter then goes to Rod Rosenstein, and this is the name that you've heard. He's he's the number three guy in the Department of Justice. Rosenstein then is the one. Because Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, has stepped down, Rosenstein is the one that that hires the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and he's the one that Mueller ends up reporting to. All right. So that and 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 Rosenstein, it's is an interesting sort of of guy in many sort of respects. I'll use interesting instead of other words. But, you know, Rosenstein, he's the guy that writes a memo telling Trump why James Comey should be fired. Remember the current head of the FBI when he took over? And he says, you know, Comey's violated all these different Department of Justice policies by doing this, that, or the other thing. And so based on the the Rosenstein memo, Trump, who wanted to get rid of his FBI director anyhow, because he thought he was disloyal, he relies on that memo and he gets rid of him. All right, so that leaves Rosenstein, who is now in and continues to be in office. Well, here is the story that the New York Times is reporting. And again, it's it's just a head-scratcher. That The headline is, Rosenstein, now this is the number three guy in the Department of Justice, suggested he secretly record Trump and discussed the 25th Amendment. The 25th Amendment is, of course, the... It was enacted after Lyndon Johnson became president because <clears throat> President Kennedy was assassinated. President Lyndon Johnson was sworn in as the president, but there was no vice president you know, for, for a while. And the 25th Amendment codifies how you get a vice president under those sort of circumstances when there is when there's a vacancy. So th- that's that's what the 25th Amendment primarily does. It's how how you replace the vice president. It also provides that a president can temporarily give his power to the vice president if the president is going to be incapacitated. So, for example, uh, Ronald Reagan is undergoing surgery. He can, and he's going to be under anesthesia for a couple hours, he can uh, delegate his power to the vice president for until he's coherent again. So, And then, then there's the, the other provision, the fourth provision of the 25th Amendment, which is, provides this very complicated procedure that if the president becomes incapacitated but doesn't voluntarily give up power, it provides this, again, very convoluted procedure for removing the president that requires um, I would, a two-thirds vote, 60 percent, two-thirds vote of both part, you know, both the, the Senate and the House and the cabinet members have to do all this type of stuff. It's it's something that I don't think would ever be used. And, and candidly, it probably shouldn't, except in a very, very extreme case, because it's it's almost like a coup. But but that's the procedure that they have. So anyhow, here's what the New York Times is reporting. The Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, suggested last year that he secretly record President Trump in the White House to expose the chaos consuming the administration and he discussed recruiting cabinet members to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Mr. Trump from office for being unfit. Mr. Rosenstein made these suggestions in the spring of 2017 when Mr. Trump's firing of James Comey as FBI director plunged the White House into turmoil. Over the ensuing days, the president divulged classified intelligence to the Russians in the Oval Office, and revelations emerged that Mr. Trump had asked Mr. Comey to pledge loyalty and end an investigation into a senior aide. Mr. Rosenstein was just two weeks into his job. He had begun overseeing the Russia investigation and played a key role in the president's dismissal of Mr. Comey. But Mr. Rosenstein was caught off guard when Trump cited the memo in the firing. Huh. I don't know. You write your boss a memo saying, I think we should fire 
Jeff's regular producer, Gru, and then you're surprised when, okay, the boss relies on that memo to fire Gru. Huh, who's off today? Jordan is filling in. All right. Uh, let's see. Mr. Rosenstein made the remarks about secretly recording Mr. Trump and about the 25th Amendment in meetings and conversations with other Justice Department and FBI officials. Several people described the episodes insisting on anonymity to discuss internal deliberations. The people were briefed either on the events themselves or on the memos written by FBI officials. None of Mr. Rosenstein's proposals apparently came to fruition. It is not clear how he how determined he was about seeing them through, though he did tell the acting FBI director he might be able to persuade the Attorney General and the Secretary of Homeland Security to mount an effort to invoke the 25th Amendment. Um, Mr. Rosenstein disputes this account. He says the New York Times has it wrong. Okay, now, I, I don't, again, I, I don't know what the truth of this is, and the New York Times gets a lot of stuff wrong when it comes to the, w- covering the president. But I, I will say this. If these allegations are true, and that you have a high-ranking member of the Justice Department who is talking about surreptitiously wearing a wire and trying to organize members of the cabinet to essentially overthrow the government and toss the um, toss the president out. If that is, in fact, true. Now, Rosenstein says it's not true. He denies the story. But if it is, in fact, true, it would seem to me that. I don't know when when President Trump talks about a deep state and you know people embedded in government who are sort of out to get him. This would be pretty much evidence of that. And if this is in fact true, I mean, I'm just I'm trying to imagine a situation where you you work for someone and you decide I'm going to wear a wire and I'm going to try to organize people to try to overthrow the the boss. In this case, the duly elected president of the United States. I, I think if that turns out to be true, maybe it's time for Mr. Rosenstein, if it's true, to, I don't know, consider, you know, how, how he might fare in private practice. Just saying. It's 118. When we come back, Milwaukee County, no surprise, is in a complete mess. What does it need to do? Stick around. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Packers head east, hoping to keep a goose egg, goose egg in the lost column. Can they come home with a win against the Redskins in Washington? Gene Miller breaks it down with the voice of the Packers. Wayne Larravee, tune in, 7.50 a.m. on Monday morning. All right, here, here's here's the deal. You know, In the race for governor, we're having conversations about, well, should we spend money on schools? Should we spend money on roads? And where is that money going to come from? All those different conversations. Well, if you live in Milwaukee County or you use resources in Milwaukee County, the, the chickens, to use the cliche, have really come home to roost. There is a report out right now that says that Milwaukee County faces a what they describe as a sing, seemingly insurmountable backlog of tens of millions of dollars in deferred maintenance for the parks. Um, county parks alone have built up more than $200 million in deferred maintenance. Now, let me review the bidding for a minute as, as to what's going on in Milwaukee County. The safety building, which is where the criminal courts are, the safety building it is a wreck and there's proposals out there the safety building is probably going to have to be torn down and they're probably going to have to replace it that's going to be several hundred million dollars all right you've got the public museum now i understand that city and county the public museum 
is a wreck and they're looking to move the public museum to, to different places. And, and again, they're looking for some public money and they're going to be looking for private money as well. And, and then you have the parks. Let's start with the Mitchell Park domes. We've talked about the domes before. The domes had chunks of concrete falling off the the structure. The domes were built in like the 50s and the 60s, and they have passed their useful life. And so there's all these proposals that are out there ranging from let's try to, I don't know, just maintain it. And that's about $30 million to let's try to do something really spectacular with them. That's probably about $90 million. Um, the, about, they estimate that about 16.5 miles of county parkways, which is about 25% of the total, need immediate reconstruction. They estimate that about 40% of county parking lots need immediate reconstruction. 12% of park walkways need immediate reconstruction. 48% of the county's tennis courts, 54% of its basketball courts need reconstruction. And the list goes on and on. So the estimates are not including the hundreds of millions of dollars, that they need to replace the safety building, not including whatever it's going to be for the museum, the parks, just taking the, the bare bones, let's try to keep the Mitchell Parks do- open, and let's let's do the road repairs and things we need to do in the parks and the parkways. That's $200 million. It's $200 million. And this new study that's out says it's just, it, it, it can't be done. Um, it, 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 they've delayed this for years and years, but, you know, the, the backlog continues to be worse, and the, the infrastructure the infrastructure is falling further and further behind. But, all right, the money has to come from somewhere. So let's open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This clearly... Right now, unless the taxpayers of Milwaukee County are willing to pay for a massive, a massive sort of tax increase in one form or another, you don't have the money to do these infrastructure improvements. Unless the taxpayers of the state are willing to send a boatload of money to Milwaukee County to do these infrastructure improvements, you it's not going to happen. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So you're looking at a problem that is getting worse by the day unless you're willing to have a massive increase in taxes or a massive bailout for Milwaukee County, which I will tell you as a practical matter isn't going to happen from Republicans or Democrats in Madison. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So let's tee this up. Increase taxes or a bailout for Milwaukee County or just let's just kind of keep, I mean, just kind of moving along. Or is it time to perhaps look at divesting the county, maybe selling some of the, the park resources and using the money they get from that to then do a lot of these repairs that need to be done? Keep in mind, this was something that was considered with O'Donnell Park. The idea that we're going to sell the money, we'll sell the facility to Northwestern Mutual, they'll make the repairs, they'll take this over, and then we'll have money to spend on the parks. All right, can we sustain the park system that we have now, and should we? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner. We're back to discuss in a moment. It's 129. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Stephen Appleton. Steve, good afternoon. 
Hi, how you doing here? I'm doing well. All right, what do you do with Milwaukee County? They, they've got $200 million in deferred maintenance, and I'm not even talking about some of the big ticket stuff they got to do. I mean, how, what do you do moving forward? Well, here's the million-dollar question then that I would have to ask. Um, they have enough money to help they pay for a new arena <laughs> and a new trolley train that's not going anywhere. <laughs> that I'm pretty sure the majority of the people in the city of Milwaukee are utilizing the park system more than they probably use the arena mm-hmm. throughout the year. Where's all that money coming from? Well, that's a, that, that, see, thank, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair question. Now, again, I whenever we talk about, let's talk about Tom Barrett's trolley for a minute. Whenever we talk about $110 million being spent on a, a trolley that is going, that nobody's going to ride, it is a very, very fair question because you, now, and, I, and again, here, here's the thing. They will say, well, that was federal money. It had to be used on transportation. It couldn't be used on the roads, et cetera. But, you know, big picture, it is a very fair question that you can have $110 million on, on a trolley that, you know, it's going to go 2.1 miles in downtown Milwaukee, and and you have you know the, the jewel, the crown jewels of the system that are just absolutely crumbling. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to continue this conversation. We do have calls on the line, but um, here's my question: Seriously, how important are the parks? And and right now they they've identified immediately $200 million that they need to do what they say needs to be done, and that number is only going to go up. So the question becomes, do we have massive tax increases, or do we perhaps look at selling off resources, reducing the size of the park system, but using that money to take care of and improve what we have? And and if we're not going to do that, where where is the money going to come from? Where do you raise the dough? 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Hunt for Brew October rolls on, and the magic number is down to six. The crew looks to exorcise. Not exorcise. My copy says exercise. It exorcise, as in the exorcist, to exorcise some demons when they face off against the fourth-place Pittsburgh Pirates from PNC Park. Our coverage starts at 530 tonight. Okay, the story in the, in the Journal Sentinel today that... Chris Abley says that the Milwaukee County Park System right now is looking at about $200 million in deferred maintenance. That, that's what it would take right now to do everything they need. And, and that's just, that's kind of like even that's a temporary fix, including the domes. On top of that, the safety building where they have all the criminal trials downtown, that, that's, that's coming down. They, they've got to do something. That's probably 200 to $300 million. The museum is learning knows how much more on top of that. Um, the county executive says, well, maybe what we need to do is work and create a coalition to create a state funding solution and address our, our biggest funding challenges. Well, well, it, I, I, let me just give you a hint here, Mr. Abley. If you're expecting politicians in Madison to take tax dollars, state tax dollars, and ship it to Milwaukee County to repave parks or to fix the domes, you're smoking something. I mean, just, just the reality is that that's not going to happen. So do we let it continue to get worse? Do we say to Madison, hey, we want to have massive property tax increases. Can you create some exemptions in the law to allow us to you know, really hit the property taxpayers in Milwaukee County? Or do we look at other things like maybe maybe is it time to sell off some of the county park resources Make it smaller, but use that money to do what needs to be done to, uh, again, improve the quality of life in, in whatever remains. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you um, think? 
I'm a Waukesha resident, but I own property in Milwaukee and Shorewood, and I hate paying the taxes. However, I say shame on the politicians because maintenance is part should be part of their annual budget. So I blame the mayor, several mayors and mm-hmm. several county executives mm-hmm. who have found it not a problem to do backdrop payments to the county employees, yeah. but yet let our county parks go to waste. So looking, and, f- and I think that's all fair, Jeff. Looking forward, though, yep. what do you do now? Okay, so we're we're in this we're in this mess. What, right. What do you do? I think, I think you, I think you have to do a combination of things. I don't want to pay more taxes, but I think if I want to enjoy my park system, I'll contribute some. But I'm not going to pay the whole tab. Right. And I think we do have to go to the state. And the politicians in Milwaukee County gotta gotta suck it up and shore it up and do their job correctly in the years in the future. What about my and idea also, of maybe cutting back, selling off some stuff? Yeah, I mean, perfect okay. example. My father-in-law owns property up north. We have it select cut every ten years, and we get income from that when they select cut trees. Why not do that to some of our county parks? Sell mm-hmm. firewood. Do this kind of thing. Use the natural resources that we have in those parks and make money from them. Yeah, right. I think, well, I mean, I think you have to. I hate the I hate the phrase "think outside the box" because it's such a cliche. But I, I think you have to do stuff like this. And I'm, I I go back to the whole, and as I said this earlier, the O'Donnell Park thing is a classic example of that. You have a a falling down, decrepit parking structure, all right? Northwestern Mutual is building that new thing up there. They come in and they say, we'll buy it. You know, we'll, we'll give you millions and millions of dollars, so you don't have to worry about the maintenance on this anymore, and, you know, you can take the money, and we'll also cut a deal. We'll agree to keep X amount of this available for people who want to park, you know, down at the lakefront. And and instead of saying thank you, taking that money and then using it for something else, you've got the county board that says, oh, we can't sell any of the stuff. We can't give away any of the parking stuff, uh, any of the, the the public stuff. This would be terrible. And so you say no. So, all right, you, you end up getting really effectively nothing out of, of that. I mean, I think... I think you have to be open to selling assets. And if, if Milwaukee County wants property tax exemptions so that they can pay more, fine, to help support the parks. But the truth of the matter is, right now, the, the monetary needs are so great that I just don't think you can tax your way out of it. I, I think you need to figure something else out. Um, Lee in Whitefish Bay, you're on WTMJ. Sell some of the property. Okay. Yeah, we have our Lake Park Bistro has been quite a success. Yep. And you know, people love it, and we're getting revenue off of it. There's areas like uh, Brown Deer Park right along Green Bay Road. That's uh, a frontage area. You could put restaurants. Uh, so selling more of our property mm-hmm. that is complementary to the park so people can use that property for a restaurant at, that spills right over into the park seems like it makes good sense to me right well and, and again you you know you want to be careful about that because I, I appreciate that the parks are a treasure but if there's not enough money to maintain them properly you know do you need to look at those alternatives now it's interesting that you mentioned you know lake park bistro i you know which for, for people who don't remember there, there used to be this decrepit sort of building where they had a hot dog stand and where heroin addicts went to kind of shoot up and then it was a pavilion right it the was, pavilion the yeah. old building was it was the same building 
and they totally refabbed that building. Right. And so now you have this wonderful restaurant that is packed on, on most evenings and is paying, you know, rent and is generating property taxes and it, all those different types of things. And you know, if you'll remember Lee, there were there were members of the county board who who fought that tooth and nail because they didn't want to see any privatization at all. And I'm thinking, okay, you'd rather have the decrepit building where the junkies are hanging out and you've got the hot dog stand, or you'd rather have this wonderful resource that's bringing people into the area. No, I, I think you're exactly right. Th- thanks for calling. But, but here's the bottom line of all this. that you, you can't keep doing nothing. So this is the conversation that you, you need to have. You cannot keep doing nothing. And so... What are we going to do? I mean, I know Chris Abley's talked about wanting to put parking meters down in, in some of the parks. I don't think that's a good idea. Plus, that's only going to generate peanuts. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is you, you have to figure out a way to, to bring in a bunch of money. I don't think you're going to see any state legislature kick out tens of millions of dollars, much less hundreds of millions of dollars, to Milwaukee County so it can use it to do maintenance on a park. I just maybe... Maybe I'm missing the boat, but I think that's a complete and total political non-starter. So if that's the case, and unless the residents of Milwaukee County are willing, of which I am not anymore, unless the residents of Milwaukee County are willing to, again, eat a huge property tax increase, I, I think you have to start looking at other things. And maybe it's the time to start saying, all right, is there some parkland that we can well, is there some parkland that we can get rid of with the idea that we're going to use that money to then better everything else? Just saying. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The more details that emerge about the shooter in the Middleton case from a couple days ago, the more, again, you, you, you shake your head and realize how difficult it is, especially when you're dealing with mental illness situations. If you haven't heard the latest, the, the gunman... Who, who showed up at the software company and, and shot his co-workers, he apparently was banned from carrying concealed weapons back in 2004 after he told police that there were people at work who were talking bad about him and was found with a number of weapons and a large amount of ammunition. That's according to the Journal Sentinel. Anthony Tong illegally obtained the 9mm pistol he used to show his, shoot his co-workers after having his concealed carry permit revoked over a mental health incident involving police in Sioux Falls, where he lived before moving to Madison in 2017. Sioux Falls Police Department was apparently called to his apartment. This goes back to 2004, after an alarm company alerted his landlord that Tong had disabled a fire alarm in the apartment. When they showed up, they found that he had disabled smoke alarms, ceiling lights, ceiling fans, and anything attached to a wall or ceiling that was powered by electricity. He said he had disabled everything because people in the apartment below him were eavesdropping on him. They said he was acting defensive, delusional, and paranoid, and was carrying a loaded handgun with a double magazine, pepper spray, and two knives. They also found a Colt AR-15 rifle in his apartment and a large amount of ammunition. Um, He would not answer when asked if he considered shooting someone else, put his head between his knees instead. So what what happened is then you know he, he lost his ability to legally own a gun. They don't know though where he got this gun. They're trying to trace it, but they're describing it as unique, and so they're they're having difficulty in doing that. But you know, once again, this sounds like it sounds like a situation where you have somebody with a a mental illness who 
should not have been able to have the gun that did in fact that did in fact have the gun um which is I think that's one of the things that you know you see all the time for her part Tammy Baldwin US senator is weighing in in a completely useless fashion saying that she thinks that uh this is a this shows the need for gun control measures and that she is in favor of banning rapid fire bump stock devices I am too but this has nothing to do with rapid fire bump stock devices and that she supports universal background checks but again doesn't appear that this was a situation where universal background checks would have made you know one whit of difference but there is this incredible frustration that's out there and i think what you again see is that somebody who was not legally allowed to have a firearm in this case because of some very, very odd behavior and mental illness issues did, in fact, have the gun and did, in fact, act out. Frustrating for everybody involved. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about I want to talk about something that happened last night involving the president and that kind of challenges sort of the conventional wisdom. Stick around. It's 151. Jeff Wacky. 154. Jeff Wacky. Your WTMJ. Hey, coming up in about 10 minutes, there's a new study out that says... You baby boomers are smoking as much dope as the millennials are smoking, and you're smoking as much dope as the teenagers are smoking. Do you believe that, and what does that mean? And then coming up in about 35 minutes, Pop Culture Corner. It is a fun one. It is an accessible one for uh, today. But I want to I want to just – we're going to take a couple calls on this. We only got about five or six minutes before the top of the hour. If you follow the mainstream media, as, as I do – a lot. You would get the sense that there's nobody out there at all who thinks Donald Trump is going, doing a good job as president, and there's nobody out there that supports him. That that's that's kind of the impression that you would get. And you, I mean, you read the New York Times, and I, I do it so you don't have to. And every story, it's just it's just relentlessly negative. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is terrible. And that's certainly where the mainstream media is. But I I thought it was something interesting because last night. The, the president had one of these campaign rallies in, in Las Vegas. And it was interesting because I was, I was following the coverage of it, not on CNN, not on Fox, but I was following the coverage on it on, on the webpage of the, the newspaper out there, the Las Vegas Review Journal. And they were kind of live, live blogging the event. And, and one of the things that they were talking about is how it was held at the Las Vegas Convention Center. And if you've been to Las Vegas, you, you've perhaps been there. They st- people started lining up five to six hours before the event was taking place in 95 degree heat um, at one point in time. And this is the this is the local newspaper and the local newspaper is talking about how the, the lines stretched somewhere between in, in excess of half a mile to get into the, this arena, which ended up being completely and totally packed. I, I was looking at the story that came out of this. Uh, there, for example, they quote a woman from California who says that, you know, she she drove 500 miles and waited four hours in, li- <clears throat> in line to go in and get the and attend this event. And it's it's one person after another who were saying, yeah, th- this is what we did. We we came from, you know, all over, not just Nevada, but we came from, you know, all over the surrounding areas. We came from Arizona. We came from California. And we stood in line for hours and hours. And the crowd, the place was packed. The crowd was enthusiastic. 
And, you know, one of the conclusions, I think it's surprised, I think at least some of the people who are watching this, that even with all the bad press that's out there, and, and even with all these different concerns, and even with all the st- uh, stories, that you still have a, a, a relatively substantial number of people who are out there who are excited about and continue to believe in the president. Now, does that mean if he ran for office tomorrow that he would get reelected? No, I, I don't think any of us know it. But if, if all you do is take in the Washington Post and take in you know the MSNBCs and the CNNs and the New York Times of the world, you would get this idea that it's just it's Trump alone, like in a phone booth of, of supporters. And at the same time, I, I think you look at some of these events, like the one that happened in Las Vegas last night, and, and you see that there's a lot of people out there who, despite all the negative coverage and despite a lot of the stuff that, they're, they're, that you say about and you hear about, there's a lot of people out there who continue to believe in, in what the president's doing, who think the president is doing a good job and actually believe that the reason the president is perhaps not even more successful is the fact that you have this orchestrated attempt to try to stop him, which is one of the reasons why in, in this, and I, I've been making this argument before, there, there are people out there I know who think that if the Republicans go ahead and approve Brett Kavanaugh, before the midterm elections, that that's just going to further sour people on on Trump and the Republicans. I actually think it's it's the opposite. I, I think, you know, in the Kavanaugh case, you're starting to see a backlash from people who are thinking, all right, this stuff is starting to go, you know, too far. And and it's it's playing out exactly that way. Will there be a red wave in November? You know, maybe. But for people who think that there's no basis of support for the president and if the Democrats take control of the House, that means impeachment is right around the corner and there's going to be a lot of support. Nobody in the American public thinks that Trump should be president. That's just not true. Look at look at all the people that came out to that rally yesterday, including people that drove hundreds and hundreds of of miles to get there all right when we come back baby boomers are smoking as much dope as millennials who are smoking as much dope as teenagers what's going on stick around 159 jeff wagner wtmj it's jeff wagner wtmj so melissa before you leave would you like to get i as you might expect i get a lot of feedback about the show yes. on, on a daily basis mm-hmm. um most of it is positive some of it is negative but it's always interesting, and some of it is candidly weird. But but that's okay, you know. It's just kind of, huh? That, you know, you. you I want to hear more about the weird what, stuff. Well, not really. No, okay. you kind of it's yeah, too weird. I, actually, I was doing something with Jane Matinair the other day, and she was talking about how she said, "Gee, I I, I got this one particularly odd one." And I said, "Well, come, yeah." She said, I, "I'll bet you you get a lot of that." But it, but it's just interesting yeah. because sometimes people say stuff, and it's kind of like, huh. You thought that that's what motivated you to go and write, but but anyway. But so, and I get a lot of feedback from different from different topics. Would you like to guess the topic that we talked about yesterday, somewhat in passing, that generated the the most response um, over the last twenty four hours? I'm going to say the Yeti. The Yetis. <laughs> yes. If if you were not if you were not listening <clears throat> yesterday, I was just opining how these the, the Yeti, these are tumblers, and maybe maybe everybody's heard about Yetis, but I, I think, you know, for a lot of people, there's new, there's new things. One of the key things is keeping hot drinks hot and, and cold drinks cold. 
I don't. It's kind of like the my pillow things I talk. I don't know how these Yeti things do it. Well, you don't get paid to talk about the Yeti. I don't though. get paid to Not talk about all. the Yeti. You just no, love no, no. it. Well, it, it is, and, and these are they've got them in all these different sizes, and they're just these amazing things. Now, I I understand we can put a man on the moon, so I, I shouldn't necessarily be surprised <laughs> that you can make a tumbler that you can put ice in at yeah. nine o'clock in the morning, and it's still there. But all right, so I, I've got one here. This I have coffee in this. I put coffee in this. In this at, at 10 o'clock this morning, it is now 2 o'clock, and this is still warm. Yeah. It, it's just still warm. So I was talking about how these Yetis are the greatest thing since canned beer, et cetera. And as a matter of fact, um, we, we had we had a listener who works for an ambulance company who, who heard us talking and, and dropped off for, it's kind of like the knockoff Yetis. They weren't Yetis, but they're similar right. stuff, and they're actually very good. And they look good. They look the same. <laughs> they, they look good, together with all sorts of pens and all, so we, we very much appreciate that. But you had Yeti envy. I did. Well, I, 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 everyone around the office had one. I didn't have one, but I was enjoying your conversation about how it's so great. So today, you surprised me with a Yeti. You, you yes. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't I, believe I, you came in the newsroom. Ah! I, well, it was I one of those Yeti. things, and and. I went. I went home, and and my wife Fran. She said, "I heard you talking, talking about you know with, with Yeti." She said, "Yeah." She said, are, are, she said, "She said for for she said go go buy that woman a Yeti." Right. <laughs> so so th- this morning on the way into work, I I stopped off. I you know you you, you told me that you wanted one in blue. Yeah, so I, I liked was, blue. I was able to find a blue Yeti. So now. Now you have, and by the way, we appreciate the guy that brought us the other ones. Absolutely. I mean, our producers have those. I've, I've been giving those out, but you now have an official Yeti. I have so an official Yeti, and I'm so excited. I looked inside, and I'm you know messing around with it, and I pulled out the thing, and it showed a picture of a guy that's a sportsman. You know, he's in a boat, and I'm like with camouflage. I'm like, I don't think I need to wear like camo. To have my Yeti. It was like an outdoors kind of thing, right? But the Yeti, everyone has one around the office, and I'm so glad now that I have a, an official blue Yeti. Right. It's, it's no longer Yeti Envy, but I mean, I'm no. already I'm already getting, <clears throat> well, right. And then, of course, you got a couple of people who still walk around with like the little- <laughs> Solo like, cups? Those, those, like those, the, right, the Solo cups, the, the plastic cups that like you, you used in college when you showed up at the beer party and right. stuff like that. No, but it, and of course, now we're getting swamped with people who are saying, well- that they've got apparently there's all these other knockoffs that that they say work well as well and I have no reason to doubt that but you got a regular Yeti I got the Yeti so I'm excited Yeti. I'll let you know I'll use it tomorrow for the first time I'll put some hot coffee in it and I'm gonna you know time it out to see how long it stays hot people love their Yetis and I did not want you my friend to be Yeti deprived well so. thank you and I <laughs> and I tagged you on Twitter so I took a photo <laughs> of the Yeti if you want to see it um, I tagged it at Melissa Barclay two. Number or number two, and then I tagged you in that as well. So all right, okay. So we're 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 now we're we're going all Yeti Official now. Jordan, who's producing Yeti. the show today? We, um, you don't you don't have one, do you? You've had a Yeti oh, for two one. years. Okay. okay, you were an early adapter. All right, you love it still. Yeah, that's I tell you. Well, I think a lot of people question it because they are a little bit more expensive. So you want to make sure that you know if you're paying thirty forty dollars for a cup or a, you know a drink. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure that they actually work. So, FYI, people, they work. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they do. Yeah. And, which isn't to say that the other cheaper ones don't work. I don't know that one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But, um, all right. Yeah. See, all right, we're, well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Exactly. No, no. We, I'll I just, check I, back in on Monday. Well, well, exactly. Don't lose it or anything. That <laughs> right. was, that's what my wife was saying. Cause I got her the, the Yeti tumbler and she, cause we've been using like, 
We've been using smaller ones, and she says, well, I, I bring it into where I work, but I'm afraid I'd leave it or lose it or something like that. Oh, that's man, it. I'm not. I'm taking it with me everywhere now. <laughs> It'll be attached to my hip. That's, that's right. She's getting one of those bracelets, and it's just going to kind of dangle there and stuff. <laughs> I need, right. like, a fanny pack for my Yeti, right? Just, like, kind of stuck so on my So if you were listening <laughs> yesterday and you were wondering, did, did Wagner come through for his friend, Melissa? Absolutely. He did. So that's it. Okay, let us switch gears. Uh, Pop Culture Corner coming up in about 20 minutes. But before that, I want to share with you a story out of the Washington Post. I want to get your reaction to it. When, when we talk about legalizing marijuana, we, we think about, I think, teenagers. We think about young adults, right? Well, all right, there's a new federal survey. Let me, let me, here's the story. The latest release of a massive federal drug use survey says marijuana, monthly marijuana use has skyrocketed among older Americans. The past decade, in fact, has seen a sea change in the demographics of marijuana use. As recently as 15 years ago, teenagers were more than four times more likely to use marijuana than 50 to 60-somethings. Okay, So 15 years ago, teenagers four times more likely to use the smoke pot than baby boomers. As of 2017, Americans ages 55 to 64, that would be baby boomers, are now slightly more likely to smoke pot on a monthly basis than teenagers ages 12 to 17. The oldest group, seniors age 65 and older, has seen steep increases in marijuana use as well. In the mid-2000s, so 10, 12 years ago, monthly marijuana use among people 65 and older was effectively at 0%. Um, that is now increased to about 2.5%. All right, so bottom line is more baby boomers are, are smoking pot than, than kids. In addition, marijuana use among middle-aged Americans, so this would be what, Gen X, has surpassed teenage use several years ago. Um, which is suggesting that, you know, a lot of the marijuana context starts to focus on the effect on young people, but it's really middle-aged people, and if you believe these numbers, older people who are smoking more and more pot. Some of this is, of course, undoubtedly due to the fact that, that recreational marijuana use is legal in about nine states now, but still, I, I find this to be, an in, if these numbers are correct, I find it to be an interesting trend, which is where I want to start. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Do you believe this? Has this been your your experience? Are older people, whether it's people in their 30s and 40s or people in their 50s and 60s, are they coming back to marijuana? Have they always been smoking dope? Or is this kind of this new trend that more and more people... Maybe it kind of grew out of it uh, because it was illegal or whatever. Maybe when you were a teenager or something, you were smoking grass in the 60s or the 70s or whatever. And now that it's getting to be more legal, um, legal in more states, do you believe these numbers? Are older people, and in particular baby boomers, are they turning more and more to weed? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have my own theory, and I'll share it with you. But do you believe this is true? And is is this 
Is this true in, in your group? You can be honest. 414-799-1620. It's 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, here's why this is interesting. Because a lot of times when we talk about the dialogue and, and the, the dangers of, of marijuana use, etc., we talk about the effect on, on young people, gateway drugs and all that. Well, if you believe these federal numbers that are coming out, it's it's not young people right now that are, are gravitating towards the marijuana use, at least in droves. It's the Gen Xers. And it's the baby boomers, people in their 50s and 60s. Do you believe that? Joni in Pleasant Prairie. Joni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hello Hi. there. Hi, Joni. What Hello. do you think? Well, I do believe that uh, a lot of older Americans are using marijuana. Um, some in, in place of maybe a pharmaceutical that... Um, you know, some of us, we retire, um, we have some chronic pain issues, mm-hmm. and um, or maybe some sleep, you know, issues. Right. An- another thing, maybe, you know, we used it in college, recreationally, then, you know, we didn't for a long time. Raised our families, had our careers. Then we retire, and, you know, we know that it's not a dangerous Drug. We know that from past use. And, well, or you're not, or right, or you're not worried if you start if you start smoking in your sixties, you're not worried that you're going to turn to heroin or something two years down oh the road. God, yeah, no, that that would no, and I know it doesn't. You know, from people and associates that have used it regularly since the you know sixties mm-hmm. or whatnot. Um, and we're, we're sensible. We're not going to do it and go out driving or anything. End of the day, you want to relax a little bit, or you have uh, some pain issues at night particularly. Uh-huh. You know, it's so much nicer than taking a pharmaceutical. Right, okay. Uh, and, and, yeah. and that's, okay, good enough. Thank, I appreciate it. I want, I want to get to a bunch of calls on this. But so, I mean, Joni says she believes the numbers. And, I mean, the argument you get is, okay, Jeff, I know you like high-end bourbon, so... You know, what's the difference if you want to come home after work and, you know, you're, you know, you want to have your, you know, glass of bourbon? You know, why, why shouldn't I have my, my pot? 414-799-1620. New federal numbers say the big growth in marijuana usage is older Americans, baby boomers and Gen Xers, much more so than young people. Do you believe this? Let's talk to Tom in Milwaukee. Hi, Tom. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, you have the kind of the same mindset as that first caller. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'm a baby boomer, and a lot of us have pains, a lot of us have depression, anxiety, and the pills are a ridiculous amount to get pills for stuff like that. And marijuana does the same thing. Okay. So, yeah, I know a lot of baby boomers who do marijuana, but not to get high, just uh, for medical reasons. Okay, yeah, th- thanks. And by the way, I've always, I, I always want to make this clear. People sometimes misunderstand my position on marijuana usage. I, I do, I've always been in favor of medical marijuana. I, I have, just because if you've ever <clears throat> had somebody close to you who's, for example, faced the diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis, and, and you look at the powerful opioids that that person gets prescribed, I, I mean, I, I've always guessed, if you knew somebody that had, for example, terminal cancer, and give it in, in a little bit of pot would help them get their appetite back or something, my, my response would be, who cares, especially given a lot of the other stuff that gets prescribed to deal with pains. 414-799-1620. I, I do think part of it, it has, and part of the factor is, I, I do believe that laws laws do restrict some people. I mean, you're sitting there thinking, okay, it's it's I'm 35 or I'm 40 years old or I'm 45 years old and I'm productively employed and if I get busted with pot, that could affect my job. All right. Oh, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to blow it. I don't want that to happen. So, but I, I think especially in some of the states where it's legal, 
I think that there are probably a lot of people saying, okay, well, there's not going to be the stigma that there was. And, and so I'll be inclined to, if, if I smoked dope when I was 18 years old, now I'm 48, maybe I'll, I'll go back and do it. 414-799-1620. Pat in West Dallas. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, um, you know, about baby boomers, yeah, I just turned 62 yesterday. Happy and, birthday. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> so now uh, people. I would say a lot of baby boomers that are becoming, you know, citizens, you know, or senior citizens now have probably been smoking pot since they were teenagers. Okay. And, you know, they're not coming back to it. They're just being more open about it. You okay. Know, that they, that they okay. Smoke pot. Do you, now, do you know, do you know people that have smoked pot their whole life? Besides me? <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I was asking in general terms, but <laughs> okay. So you, you've been a pot smoker your whole life, huh? Yes. Okay. Now, now, saying that, though, Jeff, now I have two, you know, well, I have a daughter that's 20 years old, and she's going to college out in La Crosse, and I have a son that goes to WCTC, and he's starting to be in a, a police officer. Right. Now, now, when they're young like that, I told them both that I do, don't want them smoking pot at, at an early age, because especially when they're going to college, they're not going to be able to focus on their studies. Right. You know? But I told them both, you know, when they get to be older, now my daughter's starting to be a lawyer. Now, you know, once she, you know, I, you know, I, I was kidding her about, you know, getting her mansion, you know, being a rich lawyer. Right. You know, but not all lawyers are rich. I know that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you know, that once, you know, once she's done with everything and she's an older adult, you know, if she wants to sit on her couch and, and burn a joint, you know, go ahead. You know, I, I got to ask you, how did you spend your birthday? <laughs> working <laughs> okay okay I, why, why do i picture you kind of like like sitting there and you got the birthday cake with the candles and you're and you're lighting that joint off the candles that's not how it happened huh not no <laughs> god no. thanks for the call i appreciate it 414 i, I i'm kind of kidding around but i, I do I, I do think he he's probably on to something that maybe because the stigma of that is out there you know maybe there's people who have, in fact, you know, started in the 60s and 70s, and they just been, haven't been willing to come forward and acknowledge it. Um, plus, I, I do think, I think the stigma is lighter. I do think the fact that it's legal in a lot of um, states, I, I think that's motivating one of these things as well. Barbara in Milwaukee. Barbara, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, it's the People Pro. Oh, hi, Barbara. Hey, hi. hi. I can tell you, Jeff, the older people are buying it. We we. Have- we're in Denver, we stop at the Green Mile, and I can tell you that m- the vast majority of the people going in and out of the shop are older folks, and they're boomers. And they go in and they talk to the Budmeister, and they say, I've got this ache, and i got this pain, and what can be done? And they get recommendations for different types of edibles or different types of infusions, and uh, they walk out. Are you, are you sure it's not people going in there? Are you sure it's people not going in there and saying, I, I just want to get a good buzz to get me through the day? But it's aches and pains, huh? Well, it's a, lo- it's, it's a lot of aches and pains. It uh, helps getting, it's for people that are having trouble sleeping, right. people with arthritis. Um, you know, I have friends that use the CBD infusions for their arthritis and their RA. Um, you know, the boomers are looking for other alternatives besides just more pills and opioids. And this is one familiar to them. Many of them used it in college. I think a lot of people, because of the legal and the stigma, as you mentioned, uh, didn't use it for years as they were being uh, raising a family and pursuing a career. But, you know, once you get retired or semi-retired, it's like, hey, I'm in Oregon. 
Why not? Right. Why right. not go to a shop and see what's available? And I'll tell you, Jeff, everything is available. <laughs> you got popsicles. You got lollipops. You got candy. You have got everything you can imagine with the infusion. Do you think it? Do you think marijuana is going to be legal in this country anytime soon? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's 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 waving across the country. And I think in Wisconsin, we're going to be looking at two or three years. We're going to have it legal. Okay. You know, we got the referendum in November, and. It's the boomers that are driving this more than anybody. They're saying, hey, you know, I used to, when I was 17, I, I barely take an aspirin now. Where's the heroin? You know, the, the right. people going to heroin and fentanyl are the opioid uh, people. It, right. it isn't the pot people. So, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen, Jeff. Interesting. But, Thanks for the call. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Barb. I'm kind of up against the clock. Um, well, th- this is this is to me one of the interesting talkable things because again, when we talk about the dangers of marijuana, the discussions are always: is it a gateway drug? You know, is it going to screw up people's lives? But uh, interesting enough, the federal feds are saying their study: the big growth area when it comes to marijuana use nowadays is us baby boomers or the Gen Xers. Huh? Go figure. So, Melissa, you and I are. I'm a baby boomer. You're Gen X. I'm a Gen right? Xer, yeah. Okay. So we, in general terms, we're driving the marijuana train. <laughs> I have how, no idea. How, I mean, <laughs> me neither. Yeah. See, that's why you listen to the show. You find out all sorts of new stuff. It's 229, 236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, by the way, I hope you have a great weekend. Big Brewers are in Pittsburgh. Big series. Their magic number is six, which, let me explain what that means. That's six, any combination of six Brewers wins or six Colorado Rockies losses gets the Brewers into the playoff as a wildcard team. Then there's another magic number. I think it's seven, but I'm not positive. And and that's for the top wildcard team. And you want to be the top wildcard team because that gets you a home playoff. Remember, the two wildcard teams meet in a one-game playoff. And then there's the Cubs and the Brewers. The Cubs' magic number is eight. Any combination of Brewers' losses and Cubs' wins equaling eight, and the Cubs win the Central Division. That's really, I think, at this point, well, I mean, obviously, you want to make the playoffs, but the Brewers are chasing the Cubs. They're two and a half games down because if you can avoid anything can happen in a one game playoff. If you, if you can avoid, if you can avoid that and be the Central Division champion, you're guaranteed for that first five game uh, series. So, um, we'll, we'll continue to monitor all that, but a big sports weekend because you've got the Brewers in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh has, by and large, for the last couple of years, they've had the Brewers number. I don't exactly know why it is. The Brewers lost two out of three games to Pittsburgh here in uh, at Miller Park last weekend. So they've had a tough time with Pittsburgh, and I, I guess uh, hopefully they, they can kind of turn that around. Then you've got the Packers going to Washington at uh, noon on Sunday. All sorts of fun there. All right, this is, this is the portion of the program where we stop doing the heavy lifting and we stop talking about the Brett Kavanaugh thing and Milwaukee County being out of money and President Trump and all these different other issues. And we have a little bit of fun. I call it Pop Culture Corner. Some weeks we talk about, I don't know, movies and some, it actually started as a movie segment, it's expanded. Some weeks it's food, some weeks it's vacation, um, just uh, things in the pop culture. And typically what happens is the segment gets, there, there's something that goes on in a given week that kind of generates an idea in my head and then it tickles my fancy and hopefully it will tickle yours as well. Earlier this week, we, we had the Emmy Awards, and that recognizes the best in television. Emmy Awards, uh, the, the ratings were down dramatically this year, and they've been down for a, a number of years. And there, there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and I think TV has become, 
I, I think you can argue that TV is better now than it's ever been, but it's also more fragmented. You've, you've got all these different platforms. There, there's so much stuff out there that it's t- difficult to know what to watch. So a lot of the Emmy, sh- a lot of the, a lot of the shows, for example, that were nominated in different categories, a lot of people have never even seen because, all right, maybe you don't have Hulu or you don't have Amazon Prime or you don't have Netflix or, you know, you don't have, you know, the, the pay cable channels or, or whatever. So you haven't seen any of those things. And it, it's different, of course, than when I was a kid growing up where you had the three major networks that were, was what you focused on. But in any event, that they celebrated TV. I am a TV junkie. Just talk to my wife. She'll tell you that. I, I, I love TV and I, I just, I walk in, I, I turn on the TV, I, I read, I got the, I got the radio on, but I, I've also got the TV on and I, I love watching good TV shows. I love watching bad TV shows as well. But I thought in kind of recognition of the Emmy Awards this week and the fact that lots of stuff won that nobody had ever seen, we'd, we'd take a look at, at TV. So here's, here is my question. I know everyone will have an opinion on this. In your opinion, what was the best TV show ever? Or what is the best TV show ever? So it could be one from 30 years ago. It could be one that's current. It could be one that ran for a year or two. It could be one that ran for 20 years. Could be a comedy. Could be a drama. Could be, a you know, um, I, I guess, you know, a variety show. But... In honor and recognition of the Emmys, which have now come and gone, all right, the ultimate Emmy Award, in your opinion, goes to what show? Best show ever, the one that you would give the definitive all-time Emmy Award to, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always say, go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink these things. There's really... I would say that there's no really bad answer, but maybe there is. But, but you know, just go with your first instinct. 414-799-1620. We are back with your calls in just a moment. We'll get to as many as we possibly can. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner, WTMJ. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And the Emmy goes to the best TV show ever. Let's start with Rick in New Berlin. Hi, Rick. How are you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Best one. Um, the West Wing, please. Okay. All right. Tell me why. Well, I had a lot of actors in it. I had uh, Martin Sheen, Rob Lowe. Right. Uh, his wife was, uh, what, the, the gal from uh, from Greece. Right. Stalker uh, Channing. You know. Yep. Yeah. You know, just a lot of actors were in there, and uh-huh. I, I just always just loved watching it. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you, I mean, this it is a testament to how good the West Wing was, at least in the first couple of years, that it, it was... I mean, it, w- it was not my politics a- at all, but that I, it, I, I felt it. I felt it good and entertaining. Now, I say this when we talk about TV a lot. I think there's a lot of shows that that kind of they, they stay way too long, and The West Wing was like that. I mean, I think the first four years they should have wrapped it up after four years because after that, I think it went dramatically downhill. But I, I agree with you. The first couple years, um, that was an, an Aaron Sorkin thing. Uh, he was the guy that produced it and wrote it and directed a lot of them. Just uh, absolutely outstanding. And this is coming from a conservative. Those first couple years, I, I thought it was great. Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How about the Dick Van Dyke show? I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episodes are timeless. They're intelligently written. They, uh, with, I mean, with Carl Reiner doing a lot of the writing, you had um, the. It was funny as hell. A great cast from Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, right. a, a Maury Amsterdam, and Rose uh, Marie. Absolutely. No, thanks for calling. No, you're. <clears throat> I'm going to try to get as many. You're, I mean, Dick Van Dyke. It, it, it's a show that, like Andy Griffith, 
still, I think, holds up today. The interesting piece of trivia about the Dick Van Dyke show was when they originally came out with it, it was going to be like an office comedy, and it was going to feature more of, of the Dick Van Dyke character. You know, he's a TV writer. They were going to feature more of that. Mary Tyler Moore was such a breakout star that they started doing more and more shows centered around Dick Van Dyke at home. I guess it caused some friction between some of the other cast members, but I mean, just just absolutely incredible. Bob in Oak Creek. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think Seinfeld is uh, one of the greatest. um, Everything that happens in your life revolves around a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how many of those things that you see and say, they did this on Seinfeld, for goodness sakes. I know. Isn't that great? You know, and then you could just watch the reruns and, and um, they're just like watching it all over again. It is. You know, is, you know I, I, Bob, I, you know, I, I will say this. When when Seinfeld, and I, I'm, I'm, anybody says, you never admit you're wrong. No, I will tell you, when Seinfeld was on, I, I thought it was funny, but I thought it was going to be really, really I think dated. And by that, I mean, I, I didn't think it would have longevity. I thought, okay, this is going to be stuff that it's funny now, but it's not going to hold up. And I will tell you, you're exactly right. You watch those episodes today, and they're, they're just as funny. It doesn't matter if you've seen them five or six times. It, it, it holds up incredibly, incredibly well. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Mine is Breaking Bad because it was awesome all the way through. It's among few shows that actually had a good series finale. Yep. And it kind of paved the way back for Better Call Saul that I'm also really enjoying now. Yeah, I, thanks. I, I mean, I love Better Call Saul. And, and you know, Breaking Bad, revolutionary in so many ways because it was I – mean, they had they had this defined idea. Okay, we're only going to be able to get 60 or 70 or however many shows there were. But this is – we're going to take it. This is the arc that we are going to have and incredibly well acted. I mean, Brian Cranston, just absolutely tremendous in that. Dan in Waukesha. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, uh, I like uh, news radio. Okay. Okay. Uh, not too many people heard of it, including your screener, but there's <laughs> some crossover with Seinfeld, which everybody's heard of. Um, right. What, what, what's the crossover? Uh, uh, some of the characters, some of the actors, oh, like okay. uh, right. Stephen Ruth. Right. Right. Because an episode of Seinfeld, Vicki Lewis is on there. Right. And Jerry Seinfeld himself was on news radio. Right. Yeah. And, and I always, I mean, thanks to I, news radio was, especially as somebody who, you know, ends up, Phil Hartman, that was his last regular role before he died. Stephen Root, who played the boss on news radio, he is perhaps best known, the movie Office Space. He was Milton. <laughs> he was Milton in that. Um, <clears throat> just an, an amazing, amazing sort of thing. Debbie in Colgate. Debbie, you're in WTMJ. Last Man Standing. Okay, that's making a comeback, too, right? Yes, it is. Next Friday night. All right. That's, um, you know, Tim Allen, and that was that was one of the shows that probably got canceled because, well, it wasn't that there weren't viewers. It was that some people and uh, didn't necessarily like the politics of it, but it's coming back big time. Yep. Do you like Tim Allen in general? Yes, his show Home Improvement I enjoyed, too. Yeah, I love I mean, thanks. I, I loved... I, I, you know, I don't watch a lot of network TV. I've seen Last Man Standing. I, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of it. I, I just, the truth is, I don't watch that much network TV anymore. But, um, I, I liked Home Improvement a lot. All right. A blast from the past. Mark in Whitewater. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jeff. Uh, the prisoner was Patrick McGowan. You are going back in time. That was, 
That was sort of a limited run thing that ran in the late 60s, and he was a secret agent, and it, it was it was kind of a sort of a classic 60s show because it was kind of psychedelic and surreal in a way, um, but a 17-episode right. show that still holds up really well today. Exactly, yeah. He was uh, actually John Drake's secret agent. Right. He woke up in the village. He was number six. He was trying to figure out who was number one, and the ending is actually brilliant. I'm not going to give it away. Right. But uh, I could I could watch that series like once a year and still get hooked on it. Well, that, th- thanks for calling. That's good. And seeing what we want to say too is they, they've done a couple remakes of that. But what he's talking about is the original series. Like I say, it ran in '67 or '68. It was originally. Uh, I think that I think they did it in Canada, and then the BBC picked it up, and then it came to America, or vice versa. But um, yeah, the prisoner. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. The Emmy goes to? Goes to All in the Family. <laughs> you want to talk they, about transformative TV. That was the show. Well, only because I don't think Carol O'Connor had it going to character. I mean, I think it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was, it was natural. I mean, it just, it came, you know. Archie Bunker. And, well, even Rob Ryder, for that matter. I mean, well, well, you know, I, I would tell you, though, Dave, I mean, the amazing thing about All in the Family is before, before that, CBS was... CBS was Green Acres and Petticoat Junction right. and the Beverly Hillbillies. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have All in the Family, which just captures the nation's conscience. And you've got Archie Bunker, and you're talking about politics, and you're talking about you know real-life issues. It, it was you transformative. With, you couldn't get away with, with trying to do something like that now. Oh, just, no, 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 right. No, thank, no, thank, no thanks for calling. No, you're, you're right. I mean, no, it would be... You know, it, you know, you watch all you watch in the All in the Family now, and, and maybe it, it seems hopelessly dated. But I will tell you that was it, it was revolutionary, groundbreaking TV at, at the time. And if there wasn't All in the Family, there wouldn't have been a lot of shows after that. Just like I will tell you, one of my favorite all-time TV shows might be Hill Street Blues, because if if there wasn't Hill Street Blues. There wouldn't be a lot of the other stuff. There wouldn't have been The Wire on HBO, and there wouldn't have been NYPD Blue, and there probably wouldn't have been The Sopranos. Hill Street Blues was just, again, groundbreaking as well. Karen in Milwaukee. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Karen. Hi. I say Three's Company. Okay. With the late John Ritter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Don Knotts and Mr. Furley, Chrissy and Janet. It was just a great sitcom. Well, it was, I mean, thanks. It was, I was actually watching something the other night on the, uh, the the life and death of John Ritter. And, you know, that was, he he had been kicking around doing sitcom stuff. And then the role of, uh, what was it, Jack Tripper on, on Three's Company came to mind. And, and it just, he just kind of, you know, just absolutely took off and that was an incredibly hot show as well mike in milwaukee mike you're in wtmj good afternoon you stole my thunder oh, i sorry. saw hill street blues okay I, I well i mean it was it was just incredible i mean it was it was it was just so groundbreaking because it you know th- there weren't necessarily good guys and bad guys there were shades of gray and they had you know it, it didn't all wrap up in an hour you had continuing story arcs it was, I mean, it was an amazing show for its time. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. An amazing show for its time. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi. Um, mine's a little more recent, but uh, I like Game of Thrones. I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I haven't seen, I saw the first season because I've got the books, and I, I don't like okay. to watch shows before I read the books. I read the first book. I've got some of the other ones. I'm taking. I'm going to Europe uh, for a week long vacation, a couple weeks, and I've got the second one. I, I'm looking forward to watching it, but I want to read the books first. But everybody tells me it is spectacular. 
it's the best I've ever ever seen. Really? Are you <laughs> yeah. sorry it's coming to an end? I am sorry it's coming to an end, but uh, all good things must come to an end, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Thanks. Well, that's that's it. Thanks for coming. That that does see it does play in one of my beefs, and I, I repeat this whenever we talk about TV is that. I think sometimes TV shows go on too long, that they have a certain story arc, and because they're popular and the producers want to keep making money, well, they keep coming up with, all right, well, let's switch characters out, let's do this, and, and the quality of the show goes downhill. I love The Sopranos. I think The Sopranos stayed on TV too long. I, I There's a lot of shows I feel that way. I think if you look at the last couple of years of The Sopranos, they were pretty much repeating themselves because they ran out of ideas. I could give you countless other examples of that. Breaking Bad is an exception justified the show is an exception but a lot of tv shows they're, they're successful so let's keep making money and they've run out of ideas all right got a lot of feedback on this oh sesame street there that's a that's a uh oh that that kind of goes back mash a lot of people saying mash that was a great show a lot of people let's see star trek all in the family all sorts of great choices i'm out of time when we come back we'll find out with scott warris and Melissa Barkley have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Thanks for participating in Pop Culture Corner. Uh, it's 2.55. This is Jeff Wagner. 2.59, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Scott Warris, what do you got coming up on the big show?